Hello everyone and welcome to episode 4 of the Sporty Season Podcast. Now you may be thinking I've seen these two beautiful faces before and you would be correct. It's my uh, two NFL number one correspondents. It is Seth Bidolf and Lewis Charlton here with me today. Like I said, for episode 4 to talk about the fall of the Falcons. Now, as usual, we'll go through the housekeeping. If you're watching on Twitch, welcome. We're obviously live right now, twitch.tv stroke JJ Season. If you're watching on YouTube, hello. If you like the video, please give it a thumbs up and subscribe. And if you're watching on Spotify, I don't know what you can do, but, you know, follow, listen to it, tell your friends, all of that. But welcome, everyone. Um, just a little uh, couple of plugs before. Obviously, guys, remember, exclamation mark, CFS in the chat. And if you're watching... I've partnered with Classic Football Shirts, so go pick them up and use code JJSEASON at checkout for 10% off. And also LM Inspired, who are a loungewear clothing brand uh, that have just started up and they're really, really nice stuff. I've ordered mine, you'll see me wearing it on stream soon, so make sure you go check them out. Link is in, the, will be everywhere, and exclamation mark LM in the Twitch chat. That is all the boring stuff out of the way. Now we can get down to it. If you guys haven't, uh, let me introduce you to the guests. We have joined by Seth Bidoff. Seth, how are you, mate? I'm doing well, JJ. How are you today? Uh, mate, good. Very good. I'm, I'm excited uh, just to get a lot off my chest today. And I was just saying before the podcast started, guys, um, I have not seen someone so excited to come on a podcast and talk trash before in my entire life. And you can see by that grin on his face and the cap on his head. We are once again joined by Lewis Charlton. Lewis, how are you, mate? I'm really good, mate. I'm really <laughs> looking forward to it, as you can probably imagine. Yeah, I can definitely, I can definitely see that you're, uh, you're really looking forward to this one. Um, yeah, you know. So as you can see, Lewis is obviously a Patriots fan. Um, Seth was obviously born in Atlanta, and obviously I am uh, one of the uh, unlucky Atlanta Falcons fans, as it would be. Um, so just checking before we get in, audio issues on the stream are all fine. Lewis used to have a little bit of issue hearing Seth, so you might want to yeah. turn him up a little bit on yours because I've turned him up on mine. If you right-click on his face, turn him up. But yeah, so while Lewis is sorting that, we will get started with uh, today's podcast, which is The Fall of the Falcons. Um, but we'll be talking, obviously, the, the, the meteoric rise of the Falcons uh, to where we are now. Uh, which is in a very, very awful position. But first of all, I want to start the podcast on a positive um, spin. We're going to talk about pre-DQ, um, and I'm going to talk on first, you know, I, I got into supporting uh, the Atlanta Falcons, uh, you know, kind of, we're talking uh, Tony G days. Obviously, you can see the Roddy White jersey, and, you know, Vic Beasley were, were the players for me um, that I kind of watched growing well not growing into nfl uh but for you seth what's kind of you know what was your uh you know your atlanta falcons first kind of uh takes you know when you when you first got into it or or you know for you pre-dq what were the falcons well to begin with i i gotta say i don't even know that there really were any positives pre-dq i mean you know the falcons history is not great um, they have historically been a very bad football team. Uh, if you look at their overall record to this date, with as good as they've been over the past 12 years or so, they still have a losing record in, in, in history. Mm -hmm. 
and you know, like you mentioned, I, I was born in Atlanta. I grew up in Atlanta. So Homer for Atlanta sports teams. And so, I mean, I, it was always Falcons, you know, Falcons, Braves, all that kind of stuff. But as long as I could remember, the Falcons were never a good team. Sure, we had good years. Sure, we had good players at times. But there was never an extended period of success like we're seeing right now since the purchase of the team by Arthur Blank. So, so we'll, we'll go over to Lou and, and talk about, obviously, we're, we're talking pre-DQ and we'll obviously go post-DQ in a bit. But for anyone that doesn't know, DQ's Dan Quinn, who is the, the head coach that, that took over. Um, and so for you, Lou, obviously, Tef's talked about the lack of success um, and the, the stature of, of the, I want to say club, but they don't really call them clubs. But, you know, what I mean, the, the stature of the team um and obviously the Falcons are one of those teams in the NFL currently that have not won a Lombardi trophy. Um, which, for you, Lou, how much is that in the back of every player's head when they put on those jerseys, do you think? Oh, tough one to start that. Yeah, um, I, I mean, you could see it one or two ways. Um, I think you'll get certain players that will probably feed into the aspect of everywhere they are and yeah, that may affect that type of player. Um, and then you'll on the flip side, you'll get players that I think will just play for now and know that now is what matters and what happened five, 10, 50 years ago doesn't really impact today. I think I think what you've kind of hit it, and I'll come back to you on it, Seth, as well. You kind of hit it the nail on their heads and those players that I ringed off, and obviously I think Michael Vick was a little bit before my time, but. I think the Falcons have always been, uh, they've had star-studded players, but they've never had a star-studded team. Uh, they've definitely had standouts. You know, like for me, Tony G was definitely one. Um, I remember watching Tony G, uh, Tony Gonzalez, that is, for anyone that doesn't know. Um, you know, and he was definitely one of my favourite players to watch. Um, and obviously, Roddy White, again, was another one of those players for me. Um but for you, Seth, do you think that's always been the Falcons' problem? Um, that they've always had the odd standout player that's got that kind of Atlanta swag um, that, that seems... Because you can't deny that Atlanta football has definitely got its own identity in the NFL. There's definitely that swag, that, uh, I don't know, that brutality about it. But for you, is, is that the thing? It's always been, you know, too many, too many Chiefs, not enough Indians kind of situation. I don't even think it's so much that as it's we haven't had enough pure talent on the team. If you go back even to the early 90s, you've got guys like Keith Brooking. You've got guys like Deion Sanders who came in. You know, you've got, you know, prime time out there on the corner or even playing, you know, wide receiver from time to time. We had guys like Jamal Anderson who, were, who tore up the league for, you know, two to three years. But we've never had that consistent level of talent across the team in order for them to be truly competitive year in and year out. And a lot of that failure goes on to previous ownership, previous general managers, and their fail failures in the drafts. And I'm going to pull out, pull out a name here, and it may be going well before your time here. 1991, the Atlanta Falcons draft a young quarterback by the name of Brett Favre. <laughs> Brett Favre played all of five snaps for the Falcons before they traded him. For a running back by the name of Tony Smith, who was the who basically was run out of football three years later for being a complete and total flop. Now, we all know, obviously, how great of a career Brett Favre had, 
But our coach at the time, Jerry Glanville, said he wouldn't start Brett Favre unless his quarterback basically was in a car, was in a plane crash. And you have to think if going back to that point in time, how different things could have been for the Falcons if they had gone with Brett Favre. Since then, we've had guys like Chris Chandler, Kurt Benneket, guys like this journeyman quarterbacks who cannot lead a team. I think I think that's the thing for me and and Lou. You're definitely again. It's another point I can already imagine you're going to smile when I start mentioning it. But you know, me getting into sports, and I think I mentioned this on the first podcast when we did the the MLS NFL one. If you haven't checked it out, make sure you go check it out. It's a really great chat between the the, the three of us about uh, the rise of the NFL and the mixed success of the MLS. A really good chat. Learned a lot actually. Um, but I alluded to it in that podcast where I said for me getting into sport it feels like every team i follow is tottenham hotspur in a different jersey in a different sport and by that lou you know it you know they've got all the you know they've got all the gear to do it and it just it just seems like uh they've just been unsuccessful um but that's where we'll lead on um to obviously with dan quinn coming in um and where things I wouldn't say straight away, but quite quickly, things started to look up for the Falcons. Um, and for you, uh, how much of a big impact was that that DQ coming in? Um, yeah, I mean, the immediate impact was obviously there for people to see. Um, going back to obviously pre-Dan Quinn, um, I remember Mike Smith before him. Mm-hmm. And from an opposition fan, um, he never really gave off much authority you look around some head coaches around the league and you can you can see that they've got the authority and you can see that the players are playing for them and with the falcons i just never saw that whereas pretty instantly with dan quinn um you could see that they they had the mentality that he sort of had with the defense over at seattle where they were a, a group you could you could see it quite quite vividly in the early games for you seth was uh the how how was obviously you know you're you're more in in with clicks and stuff with re- relation to obviously the falcons um how was dq received when obviously he was taken on you know to be completely honest when dan quinn was hired he came out of seattle where they had the legion of boom you know the mm-hmm. fantastic defenses out in seattle and it was believed that Dan Quinn coming in was going to basically turn our defense around. And while there are definitely some highlight moments, looking at the team statistically since Dan Quinn has ta- since Dan Quinn took over the team, the team is consistently ranked in the bottom half of the NFL, hmm. which is absolutely surprising considering how good those defenses were out in Seattle. And you know, when I look at it, I was I was excited. You know, he's got he had that I think it was a cover two defense out in Seattle. He had Richard Sherman, guys like that out there, able to make those types of plays. And here through the draft, we've definitely improved. I will say that we've improved our quality of players um, on the defensive side of the ball. But the even in our Super Bowl run year, we had one of the worst defenses in the league. We just happened to be able to outscore everybody else. Yeah. You know, we had, I think it was a third, we averaged 33.8 game, yard, uh, points per game on the offensive side of the ball. 
And so we just, yeah, we basically just ran the score up on everybody, and that's how we were able to win that year. But it just, yeah, it started with a great deal of hope, but the results on the field didn't bear that out. Just uh, on that point, and, and that is a really good point, and this is where I think we kind of see the, the constant... Brilliant. I don't know what that was. But this is where this is where you see the the constant um we talk about defense. But we had those defensive players, you know, we had Ricardo Allen, uh, you know, uh, we had so many so many great players that played in the defense. Why do you think do you think that goes back to what I was saying about we had a lot of Chiefs in that defense? We had a lot of not Kansas City Chiefs. We had a lot of Chiefs in that defense. Uh, who were standout players but couldn't do the basic stuff like yeah they'd make a sick play or they'd do something but when it comes down to the basics like the things that win and lose you ball games do you think that was the issue with that defense under DQ? Lou? I think it was oh go ahead. Oh, go on Let, let's have speak and I'll answer. For me I think it was more lack of um, uh, what's the what's the word I'm looking for? lack of finishing mm. you know time and time again you saw guys breaking tackles it wasn't for a lack of ability or, or lack of defensive you know football intelligence it was lack of finishing unable to clean up plays i think from from my point of view looking back at the 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 roster that they had at the time i would probably describe it as solid but not spectacular mm-hmm. so you were kind of hoping that they were on their best day more often than not to 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 truly see um, defen- defensive solidity, um, especially early on. Um, I mean, it remains to be seen the effect that coordinators going to head coach what what that truly means. But we see it a lot where a, a standout coordinator will go for a head coach's job, and then the aspect of the game that they're good at tends to fall behind. And I mean. It's not the first time it's happened, and I'm I'm sure it won't be the last. With like obviously uh, Robert Salah going in at um, the Jets, it remains to be seen whether he can bring that that defense up to the level that he had previously. But to to emphasise the point on the Falcons, I think it showed in how they drafted after DQ because a lot of it early doors was defensive players. Mm-hmm. I think um and and this is where where uh, Seth alluded to it in his previous point where he said we just outscored everyone so we're going we're gonna to now talk about the season that led to the Super Bowl um now I, I looked at some stats online before we came on and I think I, I if I if I've got this correct that we were the uh fifth joint fifth all-time top scoring team in an NFL season that year um and that was in in my eyes uh all because it's Kyle Shanahan at the time, it was all Kyle Shanahan's work. Uh, he, I, uh, I don't think we realised. I think everyone knew it, but they kind of hoped that it wasn't true. How much Kyle abs- um, absolutely uh, backpacked the the offense that season, um, and obviously we we had an eleven and five uh, finish in the in the general season, and then obviously we beat. The Seahawks and the Packers, and obviously that Packers game will, for me, forever live in the memory as one of my favourite games of football that I've watched. Um, how, what was it about Kyle Shanahan for you, Lewis, that 
made him stand out and, and get the best out of this Falcons offense? Um, I just the way he runs his playbook, I think he's he's he is one of the more innovative um coordinators or when he was a coordinator, sorry. Um at the time he, he was one of the more innovative around. Um he's certainly from the outside looking in, he's one that will look to play on your strengths and maximize those against the, the defense's weaknesses. And um I mean, it, it's a different train of thought, but it, it it just seemed like it merged perfectly his his ways and ideals, and that 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 Falcons offense at the time just seemed to merge at the perfect time for the season that they had. Uh, do, do you wanna do you wanna you know go on on that point, Seth? Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot of exactly what it was. Kyle Shanahan was very innovative. Um, the, compared to what we started seeing after Kyle Shanahan. <laughs> The, the Falcons' offense wasn't very predictable. You know, you had we didn't have Calvin Ridley out there, not yet anyway. We, of course, you know, we had Julio Jones, we had Muhammad Sanu, we had Taylor Gabriel, and then we also had a dynamic set of running backs uh, led by Devonta Freeman. Mm-hmm. So you had a number of weapons around Matt Ryan. You know, we were fairly healthy that year. Um, we didn't really lose too many starters. Um, and so with all those number of different weapons you had around him, Kyle Shanahan was able to spread the ball around. And if I remember correctly, Kyle was actually the one calling the plays. Mm. It wasn't Dan Quinn calling the plays on the offensive side of the ball. And so Kyle was able to instill a system that worked on, you know, exploiting those mismatches on the defensive side of the ball. You know, by this point, Julio was already established as quite possibly the best wide receiver in the league. And so he was drawing a lot of double coverage. So you had a guy, a veteran guy like Muhammad Sanu who could pull those underneath routes or even pull, you know, if you have Julio run short, you know, send Sanu deep and he could pick up 15, 20 yards for you at a time. And so, yeah, Kyle just, he figured out a way to get the best out of this team. And it's something that we haven't seen since. I think for me, yeah, the, the, cause uh, was it, I always get the first names wrong, but it was Devin Coleman, wasn't it? The, the backup running back, um, Yes. But, you know, that you, you alluded to it. I think it was just the depth that we had on offense that season. You know, I think Taylor Gabriel, for me, was one of those players that went under the radar of how good of a year he had and how good of a player he was. Uh, his, 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 his speed was just ridiculous, you know. And like you said, Seth, you, with Julio being in double coverage, you need someone to double cover Gabriel. You need someone to double cover, uh, double cover Sanu. And then if you don't double cover all of those you've then got to worry about the running backs who can also catch the ball as well you know and and that was uh for me why i loved watching that season and you know we're gonna we're gonna get onto it in a second i, I can see lewis is lewis knows that we're getting there but you know that was for me why i loved watching the falcons it was just we're gonna outscore you and you are gonna do absolutely nothing to stop us um until the Super Bowl, where it was my first Super Bowl supporting a team. Um, I'd obviously never supported a team before, um, and obviously I'd watched Super Bowls before that, but I'd never watched the Super Bowl supporting a team. And obviously, as a Tottenham fan, I don't normally get to see teams in finals. So for me, it was you know I was excited. I took I took the day off work. You know I was I was 
the next day off work, obviously, because of the time zones and stuff. How was, what was the feeling for you, Seth, going into that Super Bowl? You know, it, it was a lot of excitement, a lot of hope. I mean, we all, I mean, obviously everyone knew that the Patriots had been one of the best teams over the, over the past, you know, five, ten years. And we all knew it was going to be a tough task. It was just, it, it was a once-in-a-lifetime moment, something that Atlanta Falcons have been waiting decades, lifetimes to see. You know, the Falcons finally getting to a point where, they could compete with these guys and, you know, reaching that Super Bowl, the pinnacle of, of the season, you know, it's something that we always been hoping for. As a, as a Patriots fan, Lou, and seeing the seasons that the Falcon, the season that the, Fa yeah, the season that the Falcons had, how concerned were you going into that Super Bowl? Or, you know, you've got Tom Brady at quarterback, you've got Bill Belichick at, at, at head coach, you know, for you, was it just another one or was this a specific one where you were like, oh, crap, like these could come in and smoke us? To be honest, um, obviously, I alluded on the last pod that the, the first three Super Bowl wins, I didn't really have an emotional attachment to. Mm. Um, so going into the Atlanta Super Bowl, the only um, Super Bowl memories I had really were two losses to the Giants. So to say I wasn't very optimistic going into the game was probably an understatement. Yeah. Um, I mean, our record on the season was 14-2, and two, which was the NFL best. Um, but like, you, like you've said, you were blowing teams away um, in your games, and it was basically shootout status. And, I mean, to me personally, my thinking going into it was that I didn't think we'd be able to hang. Yeah. Um, like I say, I, I know in the media, obviously I've looked back and done a little bit of prep, but I know in the media they had the Patriots as three-point favourites. So, I mean, any any Super Bowl where they're predicting it be three points, they're basically saying they expect it to be close, aren't they? Yeah. I think, uh, uh, and going into the game, I was, and I will go to Seth, I was shocked how, how, how the game started. I couldn't believe that we had pulled away we'd blown we'd blown the best quarterback to ever do it in my opinion out of the water and we'd ruffled his feathers you know we were outscoring but i believe uh was it robert alford got the got the first uh, uh interception touchdown but ray looked terrified so when you saw that kind of attitude from the falcons going into the super bowl set how you know i don't know it, it gave me gave me like a like a bit of adrenaline watching it you know thinking oh my god like these guys are here for the taking yeah i mean the game started innocently enough i mean it was uh, i think both teams if i'm right it was two punts each back and forth oh. and then atlanta just kind of took over i mean you know of course new england also had a couple uh couple turnovers there as well but yeah it was honestly it was completely unexpected to to jump up to to that size of a lead against, you know, Tom Brady and a, a Bill Belichick team that everyone knew was going to be very good. Um, and yeah, to just watch the, the level of intensity, especially in that first half. Yeah. Like you said, Brady looked like he was running scared. Mm. I mean, we got so many, uh, I, try, I was trying to find the stats on it, but I remember we pressured him a number of times. Like he wasn't getting time in the pocket to, to complete his passes, to make, make his reads. And honestly, that's how you beat Tom Brady. 
it always ha- that's always been the case, even to this day. If you can get pressure on him, um, he he's gonna he's gonna make mistakes. And so, yeah, going to halftime, it was I think it was twenty five to three at that at that point at, at halftime, and um, yeah, it was just one of those things where you just you couldn't uh, or twenty one to twenty one to three at halftime. Yeah, twenty one. Um, but yeah, it, it was looking really good for for the Falcons um, going into the second half. So, because it it went to at, at halftime, what were your what were your feelings, Lou? And then especially obviously us because we came out and scored the first touchdown after that as well. So it took it to twenty eight three. Were you already considering going into work the next day? Turn the telly off, all done and dusted, or what was your what was your thinking at that point in time? Like, where were you? Well, yeah, what was your uh, where were you with that? Um, to me, I, I was just wanting it to end as quick as possible. To be fair, um, like I say, I, I watched the highlights back, and the first half. It just didn't go for us at all. Your your D was all over the place, like literally wherever we tried to go. If we got a gain, it was a minimal gain. Um, if we got a run, it was a minimal run. It there was just nowhere to go. And I mean, I remember we had a fumble, um, which led to your first touchdown, I believe. And then you've already alluded to the pick six, which I think put you twenty one zip up at the time. Yeah, it was yeah. Um, and it's just like. Honestly, even getting down the field and getting a field goal before half-time felt like a, a mini victory. Um, as strange as it sounds, I remember looking at the betting at half-time um, and New England were sitting there at, I think it was 500 to 1. It might have been 750. And you just looked at that and it was just like, you could tell that to come back, it was going to have to be something monumental. And... We're going to talk about something monumental for me, and and I'll forever say that it that it is in my eyes the turning point in the game. Was uh, even now I'm just I've just pulled pictures up of it just to look at it again. The Julian Edelman catch. Now I remember being sat in my bed watching that, saying, "Oh, he's dropped it." Oh, great. Because like, in my eyes, the game was done. Like, the game was done. You know, you, you go through the motions. They might get a touchdown, whatever. When they went to that review, did you feel that momentum shift? Uh, momentum shift Seth? When they went to the review and everyone started looking at it, the nerves that I think all of the Falcons fans felt, those players felt, because they thought that game was done when he supposedly dropped it. But, my God, he hadn't. Yeah, in any game, there's always that that moment or two where you just feel the momentum just go. And that Edelman catch really, you know, honestly, that was the last time we hosted a Super Bowl party. Uh, We haven't done it since. (laughs) And it was just one of those things where the energy just came out of the room. I mean, again, you have those moments and you watch it. You're like, okay, it's done. It's done. And then they rule the catch. It's like, okay, it's Brady. Brady is one of the best in the league. We've given him too many chances, and now they, you're, they're going to continue to have possession of the ball. And yeah, it, it just at that point you just kind of knew that something was not going to go right. And and on the flip side of that, Lou, how nervy were those couple of minutes watching them review that catch? Um, yeah, you're always nervy. I mean, from the original 
replay, to me it looked like his hands had got under the ball and he, he obviously managed to keep it off the ground. But um, you're always a bit nervy when it goes to review. Um, in terms of turning point or clinches, to me that would have been the point when I was thinking, yeah, we're going to do this. Mm. Um, to me, was prob the turning point was probably the high tower uh, force fumble on Matt Ryan. Yeah which we recovered to obviously then get our first touchdown. Mm -hmm. um, because before that, again, you'd come out second half. I, I believe you'd stopped us early and then obviously scored yourself. And it, it, it was just not, not doing well. But from the high tower force fumble, it then started to turn a little and you started to get a little bit more confident. And yeah. like I say, the Edelman catch pretty much to me said, well, if you're catching that, it's got to be that our name's already written on the trophy. Yeah, because because that's the thing. That's the thing for me. Uh, and it's you know, Seth said it. It's the same with every sport. You know, uh, I keep on going back to Spurs. I don't know why I talk about Tottenham because it just makes me depressed. But you know, if you look at our us going out in the Europa League to Zagreb, when Larice came out and he said after the game, he said, "The moment you kill a team's belief, you've won the tie. The moment a team's behind and you give them belief, you kill yourselves." You know if you don't go out and kill the opposition and kill any belief there's no quarterback there's no wide receiver there's no head coach that can reinstall belief in players um when that's happened you know obviously at half time you can do it but then if you've had you this half time talk and you know you've got everyone hyped and then we go out and we you know absolutely blitz away the opposition then all of that team talk at half times are relevant and that's in the players heads they're thinking oh we were supposed to bounce back this half we were supposed to do this and and a moment like that showed how key uh how key it was to to to, to kill that game and, and the falcons just didn't do it you know that catch gave the, the patriots the belief to then obviously for those of you that don't know went on to win um the super bowl from 28 to 3 down um which I've got the guys at work kindly got a mug of the scoreboard that says 28-3. That was their uh, Secret Santa gift to me. And I look at that every day when I'm working to remind me of how much of a bottler club I support both in football and in football. Um, <laughs> but so obviously the Super Bowl fallout for me and we are purposely, everyone's thinking, oh, we're not talking about one player. We are purposely not talking about that player until we get to talk about him and a lot of you in the chat or listening will notice that we haven't just by chance actually we haven't brought him up yet um because we decided that he deserved his own section but the falcons didn't look the same afterwards seth that game looked that game again i, I don't know how this happens to me of all people but that game reminds me of the spurs champions league final loss and what that did to the tottenham squad but for me, it was worse for the Falcons because I went. I think it went right to the core. Um, you know, we were in a position where, as Lou always says, Arthur Blank's on the pitch. He's ready to take the dub. He, he's got that trophy already in the cabinet back in Atlanta. Um, and then to have that all torn away, that ruins... I think that went straight to the core. And obviously, you know, people like Dimitrov and obviously Dan Quinn and, and all the management that were involved in the Falcons. Seth, do you think that's where we really saw the demise and the ability to bounce back because it didn't happen from the top? 
that's where it starts. You know, to be completely honest with you, I can't lay the blame on that game, uh, the blame for that game at the feet of the players. I can't. You know, I look at Dan Quinn. I look at not not even honestly not even so much Kyle Shanahan, but I look at the failures on the defensive side because Dan Quinn was calling the plays. That was his defense. He got out coached in the second half by arguably the greatest coach of all time, Bill Belichick. And then you go into the offseason after the Super Bowl and Kyle Shanahan leaves, obviously. Uh, famously left, uh, took a head coaching job. And we we and then at that point we hire in Steve Sarkeesian. Now, I don't know how familiar either of you two are with Steve Sarkeesian. Not but, before the Falcons. No. Okay. This was a coach who was fired from a previous job for being drunk and had entered rehab and other and had a number of other issues. And this wasn't the first time we'd hired a coach with issues, but it was a glaring issue that a lot of folks in the Falcons community, in the fan community, were not happy with. And there was a noticeable drop-off in the offensive production, particularly in the number of points scored. And that's where the issues like really started to compound, is the hiring of Steve Sarkeesian. We've got Dan Quinn still calling the, the plays from the, from the defensive plays from the sideline. And at that point, you know, I started saying, you know, his defense has been found out. And no one, a lot of people, even within the, within the community were saying, okay, he, he, we're okay, we're okay, we're going to be okay. But yeah, it was starting that offseason with the front office, with the hires that they made, that's where things started to really just like tumble, uh, even though we went back to the playoffs the next year. But for you, Lou, um, how did... I don't know how closely you would monitor the Falcons, but for me, it, it looked like a, a team that was desperate. Um, and do you think that kind of desperation obviously just leads to, I don't know, just, just a downfall, a, a fall in, in relationships between players, relationships between coaches, you know, motivation to play? I think that was the biggest thing for me with this Falcons team. There, there didn't seem to be that, and again, it was the same with Spurs. There didn't seem to be that. We've been there. Let's go back there. Let's show everyone that we can do this. It just seemed like, oh, well, we got there. And we're all decent players. But, you know, from a mentality, how how negative is that uh, for, for the chances of progression, Lou? Yeah, obviously, uh, the mentality is always going to play into the end product. Um, I think that that's well well documented and it, it, it's a great point. Um, I mean, for me, from the outside, and like you said, how closely I'd monitor the Falcons, yeah, probably not very closely. Um, but I'll be honest, sitting there after that game, I probably would have expected the Falcons to be back in the playoffs and pushing for at least getting back to another Super Bowl. I mean, just the drafts. I mean, the draft that season, your Super Bowl season was absolutely phenomenal. Um Keanu Neal, um, mm-hmm. Dion Jones, I think were both the the the, the, t- the first two round, yeah. the first um, and second rounders, and then even after that, you you picked quality. So another draft following that up with potentially a couple more players. I I genuinely thought the Falcons would be back at it again. And do I don't know much about in camp? And again, Seth, you might have your your finger more on the pulse than we do over here in the UK, but. 
Do you think egos maybe played an issue in that squad after the Super Bowl? Uh, you know, a lot of the players kind of thinking, well, I'm good enough, but I'm not going to get any further. So they're kind of like settling because it didn't for me. It didn't seem to have that bite back. You know, you've just been you've just been embarrassed in front of the world, not not just the nation, not just your team, not just your fans. You've been embarrassed in front of the world. Now, different players react differently to that. And do you think, you know, we, we talk about mentality, that there just wasn't the characters in that team and some of the characters in the team just reacted negatively to it and, and it, you just saw the fall off, you know. Uh, I can't, I don't know whether Gabriel went that season, but Gabriel went. Um, uh, uh, Coleman went as well. Or was that, that maybe the season up? But, you know, players like that to go are just... It shows that there wasn't the belief in the camp that they could do it again. And I think that was the issue that season. But what's your take on it, Seth? You know, expectations were still high, you know, mm. after that. And, you know, we still we had, you know, like Lou mentioned, we had a tremendous draft in 2016, tremendous draft in 2017. You know, even going back, you know, the two previous years, like we it was really like 2012, 2013 that we really started to hit in the draft and really get like top quality players outside of Julio and Matt and a couple others. I mean, you look at our drafts since like 2013, I think it is the vast majority of those guys, of those guys have gone on to play significant amounts of time at the professional level. So I don't think it was, I don't think there was a, a lack of belief in the, at the, at the talent level. I think it was a, I think it was a lack of belief in the system a lack of belief in management and and in the in in the in the coaching of that of that 2017 team. Now, I'm, again, we still we made it to the to the divisional round. And if you I don't know if you guys remember that, that was an ugly, ugly game. Um, we ended up losing to the Eagles like 15 to 10 yeah. in some nonsense game. Like it just it it just it, it didn't feel good from the very beginning at that point. But yeah, from I think all the news coming out of the team and at that point was was still extremely positive like we had the talent we knew that we were going to be good but then again I, you know i mentioned earlier you talked about the statistical drop off we went from the number one rated offense in the league to the 15th rated offense in terms of points scored and when you have that significant of a difference like something's gonna break at some point and i think and and this is the perfect chance i think this is to move over stats fall off teams not winning but there's one man who seems to somehow be consistently putting up numbers but producing very little um and that for anyone that doesn't know for me is matty ice matt ryan big number two uh, you know i was talking before this we were talking about um the the Super Bowl game and, and I was saying I googled just before just to see like what were the articles coming out of that Super Bowl game and it was like Matt Ryan MVP performance you know but as a Falcons fan I've never seen Matt Ryan as under Carl Shanahan I, I, I attribute Matt Ryan getting a lot of what he got that year to the creativity of Carl Shanahan's play and like you said our offense being unplayable you could have, you know, you could have stuck Lou at quarterback in that Carl Shanahan offense, you know. Um, so with Matt, and, and this is my gripe with Matt, and, and I have 
many an argument on Twitter with people about Matt. People say to me, look at the stats. People say, oh, look, you know, he's consistent. Look, he's this. But those people, I, I, I feel they, they do look at the stats and that's how they, they judge how good a quarterback is. In my eyes, Matt Ryan will never go down as a successful quarterback because he's never won anything um, under the Falcons. Yeah, under the Falcons. But, you know, so for me, I, as a team, for, for me with Matt, I think the issue is, I don't know. I feel like he, he's a stat man. And, and Lou, what, what, are your, what are your takes on, on Matty Ice? Um, and why do you think he's seen as such a good quarterback, um, but produced not the end goal? Um, I would probably say not achieved the end goal. I would put down more to coaching. I actually really rate Matt Ryan, which I know you're going to hate me saying. No, it's good. No, I, I said before the podcast. I, I really, really rate Matt Ryan. Um, statistically, obviously, yeah, point to the statistics. But I mean, just through conversations I've had with my brother, who's obviously an analyst in the sports world. Statistics can be shown to make things look how you want it to see in certain ways. Um, I think I would challenge that the Falcons probably didn't have enough character around. I mean, you look at the big players, um, and you've mentioned Sherman before. Someone like that, you see them and you see the character coming out of them. I see someone like Julio Jones, and to me, he comes across as like a really quiet gentle giant almost and it's not someone who i would imagine would be pushing others to success um i mean yeah statistically at ryan's super bowl season he had a career high in touchdowns and career low in int so you you're going to probably put that down to shanahan and and obviously the coaching and the play calling that was helping him do that um but yeah, I mean, short of the, the fumble in the, the Super Bowl, which was probably more down to Freeman not picking up his block rather than Matt Ryan dropping the ball, he was pretty faultless in the game. Yeah, well, well this is the thing. And this is, this is where, for me, I, I think Matt Ryan is a, a peak performer in a winning side, in my opinion. I think he's a peak performer in a winning side. Watching the Falcons over the last couple of years, when we haven't been great, our offense hasn't been great, and this is where my gripe with Matt Ryan as 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 a player—I don't know—it's not him personally. I don't know him personally. It, it, it's for for anyone that that doesn't watch NFL. Obviously, the quarterback is effectively to put it. In a, he's like the leader of the team. He, he's, he's, the, he's not the captain. They have captains. But he, he's the guy that leads. He's, he's got to do everything. He's the do-it-all. He's, he's the one that's going to win the game for you if your defense is playing crap. He's the one that's going to win the game. He's going to do something to, to change the game. And for me with Matt, I, in a losing Falcons team, I don't see him turning it around. And... Obviously, you know, in football, you have like, again, with Spurs, it's always easy. You've got like, you've got your Jose out camp and you've got your Jose in camp. And with Matt Ryan, my, my Matt Ryan out campaign is not so much uh, 
a knock on I just a knock on not a knock on his talent but my my Matt Ryan out campaigns more I don't see him being at the helm of this team if it's going to turn around so for me and this will probably be a question I'll direct to Seth I said before about character and obviously as a Patriots fan I'm used to Tom Brady really animated when we get a first down or something happens you don't see that from Matt Ryan and and is that part of maybe the the problem that you see or I mean you could I, I know some people will put it down to that but Matt Ryan has been a leader I mean there's and Jason, I don't know if you're okay with us swearing on here. Oh yeah, no, but, oh, oh, no, okay. no, no. I've got a, I've got an Australian on next week, so if I wasn't okay, <laughs> we were going to be screwed anyway. So it's fine. I mean, there's there's the clip that that gets played around all the time of Matt Ryan yelling, "Get fucking set!" Like mm. he he is he has been a vocal leader. He's not going to be outspoken in the media, you know. And I think that's something that the Falcons do very good is that the players don't air everything out in public. Like they take care of it in house. But I think the leadership issue on the field isn't isn't an issue. You know, I, I think you've got the players, you've got at this point veteran players on both sides of the ball. You've got guys who've been to the playoffs, you've got guys who've been around, and they're not gonna take the crap. Like if if someone's not doing their job, you know, they're gonna take care of it. And Matt is someone that's always been, you know, in a way he reminds me of Peyton Manning. Now he is not he is not Peyton Manning, obviously. No. But at the same, he's a field general. Like he's going to put people where they need to be. He's going to make sure that people are making the right reads, you know, and things like that. But it's to me, it comes down to, um, I mean, over the past couple of years, we've seen an increase in number of drops by receivers. We've seen and a significant increase in the number of injuries. In 2019, we had 16 players either on IR or suspended. We had one player suspended, 15 players at the end of the season on on IR. And so when you're dealing with those types of setbacks, when you're dealing with coaching systems, uh, you know, Steve Sarkeesian, you've got you know, other guys, the guys that can't come after him to where it's not built for, it's not, they're not adapting to the players on the field. And you have to think too, that other teams have, have adapted to Julio. They're now adapting to, to Calvin. But again, you've got Julio and Calvin on, on different sides of the field. You're, you're going to have trouble no matter what. And outside that 2017 season, Matt has been extremely even 20 even 27. He was very good, you know. I mean, there was a stat I saw yesterday: ten straight seasons, four thousand plus passing yards. No other quarterback has done that. Not even Tom Brady, mm-hmm. you know. But and, and so yeah, it's to me, it's not on not necessarily on Matt Ryan. You know, I blame the coaching. That's what I, that's where that's where I'm at with this now. After seeing Matt Ryan in person and on the TV for years, like it it's, comes down to the coaching. I think I, I find myself, I think I find myself frustrated in, I don't know if it's very reactionary, very, you know, AFTV style, but I feel like when Matt Ryan has these good games, I don't notice that Matt Ryan's had good games, but when he has bad games, I feel like, and I'll hold my hands up, you know, me and my mates joke about it all the time, you know, if, if we lose, they'll say, oh, is Matt Ryan costing? Because that'll be the first thing I say. That'll be, oh, you know, Matt's thrown two interceptions or... He's been hit in the pocket because he's holding on to the ball too long. Um, you, you know, I think my, obviously we're going to get on to the future. Um, and that was obviously the big question uh, that, that was going to obviously come up um, with regards to obviously, uh, I'm going to absolutely butcher the name, 
but uh, not obviously the new general manager Terry Font not I've absolutely ruined that, and obviously the new head coach Arthur Smith. That was the that was the biggest question. I don't know if you saw it in your circles, but I definitely saw it in my circles that they weren't sure whether Matt Ryan was going to be quarterback with under Arthur Smith. From what I read, I you know I might this is what I mean. You're much more on the pulse over there than we are over here. But from what I see, that there was for the first time. I'm not saying there was obvious options, but for the first time there was a question mark around obviously a new head coach coming in, whether Matt Ryan was going to be that guy and obviously you know we're going to see whether he's going to be that guy but do you think this year's the year yeah but obviously we're going to get on to Arthur because I know that um when Arthur Smith came in there was obviously I, I don't like the look of the guy I don't know anything about him which also concerns me um you know I, I was kind of hoping for a Jose-esque kind of appointment you know you need a team that needs someone that's going to get it done and and for you, do you think Arthur Smith's going to be that guy, and you think Matt Ryan's going to flourish under him or not? Seth, well, I, there's a number of different things to to take into consideration here. Um, first of all, you mentioned is Matt Ryan going to be the quarterback for of the of the future, so to speak? He's got I think it's three years left on his contract, and the amount of dead cap space that he would take up, even if we did cut him in that third year. It's like, I think something like 15, 15 to $18 million at that point. And that's not something that the team is going to want to eat. I mean, Matt Ryan, I, I think he's still got at least three good years. You know, um, beyond that, I don't know. Beyond that, I think that's going to be it. I think he's going to play out this contract. Um, but we've got to draft somebody. Yeah. We've got the draft, and that's a lot of the talk that's, that we're looking at this year is the possibility of drafting another quarterback, uh, the guy, the kid on North Dakota, um, who's played one year of FCS level football. You know, it, it's even if we do draft him, I, he, there's not he's not going to start right away. No. I mean, if you look at what Green Bay did with Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre, you know, you draft Aaron Rodgers, you sit him on the bench behind Brett Favre, learning behind one of the greatest of all time, and I think that really benefits the younger kid coming up um now as far as Fontenot and arthur smith um you know it's going to be interesting to see what happens uh arthur smith was last with the tennessee titans i believe he was with he was with the um offensive coordinator yeah offensive coordinator there and the titans did pretty well last year over the past two seasons um so there's a lot of excitement there um obviously his first head coaching opportunity um so we'll see how that goes um you know, first-time coaches, there's always there's always that level of hope. There's always that level of optimism. But then there's also that level, okay, this guy's never been a head coach before, you know. And I know, and especially in, in football, not football, you know, coaches tend to have a very short leash, as we've yeah. seen, as we see in the Premier League and, and other leagues all the time. Um, but, yeah, it's I think there's a chance here – with the new coaching staff that Matt Ryan could see a resurgence in his career. I mean, if you even, if you even want to call it a resurgence, I mean, again, if you look at his stats from last season, I mean, these are in a year where Pat Mahomes doesn't you know go off. I mean, this is a, an MVP caliber season, you know, 2018 where the Falcons were seven and nine, Matt Ryan had MVP caliber stats, you know? So uh, there's a lot that has to be done 
And you know, we've kind of we kind of mentioned it the other day. You told us not to chit chat too much in our uh, in our DMs, but I mean, we've got to we've got to do good in the draft. Yeah. We've got to we've got to increase our depth, especially on the on the defensive side and our offensive line. Um, but yeah, I don't see Matt Ryan going anywhere for a couple for a couple years, and it's going to come down to the, what the front office does. Yeah, um, obviously on that, Lou, and, and talking about career progression and things like that. How how long and we. It seems like everything is just relating back to Spurs, but it's just so easy. You see it with Harry Kane. You know, the question around Harry Kane is, you know, how long is he going to take not winning the big boy, not winning, you know, the Premier League or the Champions League or anything? How long do you think players like Matt Ryan and Julio are going to go and just... You think they're going to be happy being journeymen, like you know they're just you know one club men sort of thing, or or do you think something needs to happen in the next coming years? You know how many head coaches do you think Matt Ryan and Julio Jones are going to stick around for before they go? I want to take to the big time. You know you you look at Sanu that went, you know to to the Patriots. You know you you see, you see all of these players going, and then like um, Seth said right at the beginning. You look at the players that we draft and you look at their careers and, and you go, oh, my God, like these guys are out here, you know, constantly competing for Super Bowls or competing for division titles. So for you, what needs to happen for the Falcons this year in your eyes to have a successful season, Lou? Um, I think the the roster depth is probably the main one. Um outfill a little bit of quality to support what you've already got. Um, I think the 49ers move to move up in the draft probably took away the chance of picking what I would say is one of the, the top three quarterbacks. I think you'll probably be left with Mac Jones, who most most feel will probably fall lower end of the tens, if not into the teens. Um, so I think they'll probably go away from picking quarterback. Um, I agree with Seth. Um, Matt Ryan's contract is as such that to to trade him or cut him, it's really you're kind of screwing yourself over in the long run by doing it, so it doesn't make much sense. Um, I can see a little bit of logic with trading Julio at some stage because injury-wise, he's probably not as dependable as you need him to be now, but what value you'd get for a, an aging receiver at this stage, I don't know. I, I think Matt Ryan's trade days were probably long gone. I think the early 30s would probably be the time that he would have looked to trade on, other other than doing a, a Tom Brady-type trade to a to a contender and then win a Super Bowl that way. I just can't, I can't see it. The only thing I can see with him potentially changing teams is if he sees out his contract in three years and then still feels he can play and maybe enters free agency at that point. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I think it's, um, it just seems that wherever I go with sport is always crying out for desperation for titles. Cause obviously for anyone that doesn't know, obviously earlier I said about Matt Ryan, not winning anything. That's not actually true. Matt Ryan has won a lot in, in his NFL career, but in the NFL, it's different uh, to in football in the sense that, you know, you can win your division title, you can win that, you get a trophy for that, you, you know, you can get an MVP for that, but, and um, not divisional, uh, conference title, sorry, and, and you, can, you can win that, you can get that, 
but for me, and and this is where we might differ. For me, that's not that's not the title in the NFL. I feel like that that's just uh, a, a run of the mill. No one sees winning. No one. I don't think anyone cares about winning their winning their side of the NFL. No one cares. Anybody, everyone cares about winning the Super Bowl. And it, and obviously it's the same. You know, I can't say the same as Spurs because it's not actually. This is the one point of the podcast that isn't the same as Spurs because we don't win anything. Um, but you know, I, I just I just don't know what it is about the Falcons. For me, I just don't, I just don't know what's got to happen for us to get to that next stage. And and if you're listening or watching or anything, you know, comment down below, comment in the chat if you know, you know, because I'll send your email over to to, to to Falcons HQ to get it all sorted. But I, I think this year, I just want to see a consistent Falcons team in the sense of. Last year, there were some games that we... Uh, the game that stands out for me last year was how close we ran the Chiefs. I think it was the second the, the second time round. For me, that was the game that stood out. I was like, oh my God, where have this, where's this team been all, all season? You know, last season for me was one of the worst watching the Falcons. Also because there wasn't any hope of getting out because you had Drew Brees and Tom Brady in your... In your you know... You had no chance of getting out of there. You know, I can't remember. Was it? It's the. Uh, it was the Cowboys, Eagles, Redskins, and oh, was, and Giants. Like, oh man, I'd have killed to be in that di- that division. I would have killed. You know, you only got to win like three games and you're in the playoffs. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's it's just. Uh, I just don't see what it is. But this year, um, we're going to get onto predictions, and I know people are always cautious to do predictions. But I'll go to Lou first to give Seth some time, but. Lou, where, what do you see the Falcons doing this year? Ooh. Obviously, this is Tough pre-draft. Route. This is pre-draft. Yeah. But. Tough one before you get to the season. But um, I think after the season they've had, getting somewhere close to 8-8 eight and eight would probably be a target for them to start with. Um, whether it's realistic, I don't know. First-time head coach. Um, Obviously, all the the nuances that a new playbook will bring, mm. it's it's difficult to predict. I mean, I was actually really high on the Falcons before last season because I I felt that bringing Gurley in was a really good move because if they could get that run game going like what they had back in the Super Bowl season, um, in a different way because obviously Gurley's a slightly different runner, um, and that would obviously open the offense out to to Ridley and Julio Jones a little bit more. So I, I honestly think it's about what they do in the draft. I mean, theoretically, they've they've potentially got the pick of the best player outside of a quarterback. Um, with I believe you've got the fourth pick, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so realistically, you 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 could pick the best player from whatever position you need. Really, um, it it remains to be seen. It's it's difficult for me to say and predict but i think at the very least they'd be aiming to be competitive in the division and to get back to somewhere near to eight and eight if they if they can uh, yeah and obviously i'll go to yusuf but i uh, just alluding to that point there i think that's the thing i think expectations are limited in my opinion and, and definitely for me you know my expectations of what's going to happen this season are not very high but could that, and obviously we'll get your expectations on what you think, Seth, but also just an extra point. 
could that play into that Falcons team's hands in the sense of they might be able to play and just play and, and not have that expectation. Sometimes it's better to play with that expectation and, and, and have that weight on your back. You know, you know, you can look and you go, oh, it can't be any worse than last year. You know, that kind of mentality. Before I answer, I do have one question for, for you. Uh, so there is another quarterback famously in the NFL who never won a Super Bowl was long considered one of the greatest of all time, Dan Marino. Are you going to say that Dan Marino was not a great quarterback because he didn't win a Super Bowl? I think it's always a stain on someone's career. I think, it, I think it's being one of the greatest of all time and being one of the most successful of all time, I think are two very different things. I don't think you can, you can be one of the best. Dan Marino is... is yeah, you say the name and instantly anyone that doesn't know NFL and knows a little bit about the NFL, they, they know these kind of big name players, but that's all they're known for. You know, you don't have, for me, like Brady, for example, it, it is for me the pinnacle of, of what I would say someone being successful is. If, if your team's not having success, I find it difficult to apply the GOAT status to anyone. And if, you know, I'm like you said, you say Dan Marino and I'm like, man, like he's one of the best to ever do it. But that's all he'll ever be is one of the best to ever do it. He won't be the best. Um, and that's where, you know, coming from a Spurs fan, coming from a Falcons fan, that's where you kind of think, oh, where does this mentality come from? Because I'm acting like someone that should, you know, that holds this high standard. But I support teams that produce so little. But. That's just my standards outside of it. You know, in, in soccer or, or football, you know, I always, I always am envious of the way Chelsea operate uh, for, the, for, for anyone that sees how Chelsea operate. You know, they obviously they didn't exist before the last 20 years. But, you know, now they operate on success or nothing. So, Trophy, trophies or nothing. For me on that, I, I totally agree with Seth. And it, it's the harsh way that football is judged in that quarterbacks in and around the NFL are, are judged on Super Bowls. I mean, you'll know, Brady's my guy. He's yeah. my guy. But I think there's a very big difference, like you said, between the most successful and the best ever. Now, I, I think Tom Brady's the best ever for, for reasons that I believe in. I don't believe he's the best ever because he's won seven Super Bowls. I mean, for me, four of the six that he won with us were, were one on defense principally. So to, to to put a guy on a pedestal on a team sport that he possibly doesn't affect. I mean, I'll go back to the Ram Super Bowl that we won. There was one touchdown in the game, which was a, a Sony Michelle brush. Other than that, it was literally two defenses just absolutely killing each other all day long. I, I think I think the only the only the only thing that with this sport that makes me question, and I have this argument with a lot of people, and and you know, you know, people would say, okay, I, I, am I saying by my logic that um, Nick Foles is a better quarterback than Dan Marino? You know, that's you see. That's where my logic falls back, and, and that is where you know I hold my hands up and say, you know, how does that stand up? But 
I would never put Nick Foles in the conversation. This is it's when it gets to conversation level for me is when those things come in. You know, there, there's you know Dejan Lovren has got a Champions League medal. You know, that doesn't mean obviously he thinks he is, but that doesn't mean that Dejan Lovren's the best centre back in the whole of Europe because he plays for Liverpool. Um, I just think when it gets to those goat discussions, that's where these stats, I think, rightly so. This is where we, we totally disagree. I think rightly so come into play. When you get these players that are in those questions, it's like, okay, yes, you are a better quarterback than Nick Foles. But if you're a better quarterback than Nick Foles, how have, you know, how have these people that were also better quarterbacks than Nick Foles won and you haven't? And as a quarterback, I feel like, yes, there is a lot of pressure on that position. But then they also do get paid the biggest bucks and you know, get the biggest perks or as well as the biggest negatives. But we've yeah. totally gone off topic here and Seth, Seth, has, Seth has definitely thrown it in to avoid talking about his expectations for the Falcon season. No, no, I'm not trying to avoid that at all. Um, but, you know, to throw the throw out Nick Foles' name there, um, I mean, that was the season in which the RPO was just unheard of in the NFL and Are no one could defend that again, Seth. by all means i'm not saying that matt ryan is is the goat i'm not saying that by any stretch of the imagination i mean he will finish his career top 10 in the nfl in quite a number of different statistical categories i mean he has an outside shot of breaking dan marino's you know quarterback or touchdown uh mark which has obviously already been uh surpassed by others but um you know it's yeah, it's just, that's, like you said, Dan Marino, Nick Foles, Eli Manning, throw his name out there. I mean, is Eli Manning better than some of these guys? Nope, absolutely not. But um, to get back to, to where we're at, as far as 2021 expectations for Atlanta, um, no, it's not going to be hard to improve on that 4-12 and record uh, from last season. Um, even with a new coach, new completely new uh, coaching staff coming in, um, a lot's going to come down to the draft. Uh, do I think we take a quarterback in the first round? No. Uh, I also don't think quarterback is very deep this year. Uh, I think we'd be better suited to go like offensive line or somewhere uh, in the secondary. Um, and, and I think that's going to be a, be a big benefit for us. Uh, I was just looking at the 2021 opponents that have been announced. There is no schedule yet, but uh, obviously we have the, the Panthers, New Orleans Saints, who now no longer have Drew Brees, mm-hmm. um, Tampa Bay, who just re-signed Brady for what, another another year, I think it was. Um so the, the conference opponents, the Falcons get the NFC East this year. So, you know, Eagles, Washington, Dallas, Giants. I mean, there's four wins right there. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then uh, we also have uh, the Detroit Lions and the 49ers. Again, two, I, I'd say at least one win there. Yeah. And, and then um, if they go to a... Uh, to 17 games, uh, we would get the AFC East. So Patriots, Jets, uh, Bills, and Dolphins. I see maybe two wins out of those four there, two, two to three wins out of those four if we get any of those clubs. Um, so, I mean, honestly, I think, you know, I think we see the Falcons, you know, 10 and six, maybe 11 and five this year. Um, again, you know, Saints are going to be looking to rebuild. We've got a very, very weak non-division schedule. Um, so it, it would not surprise me if we went 10 and six or 11 and five. Well, uh, again, I'm just thinking this in my head. I, I think today's podcast has been, uh, an eye opener 
to to me with regards to what's in store uh how much of my matt ryan hate is just blindsided absolute i have no idea why but i just can't stand the bloke rather than oh do you know what he's actually quite good at the game um uh, and and yeah it's it's been it's been another um really good chat again if you haven't already uh please please go and check out the previous podcast if you've made it all this way congratulations uh welcome to the towards the end of the podcast but if you haven't already please please go check out uh either on all listening platforms and on youtube if you want to see our faces which i'm sure you do um you know go and check out the previous podcast we did talking about uh, the MLS and the NFL and the, the mixed success of both in the US and in the UK. Um, and yeah, so again, thank you once again, Lewis and Seth, for coming on. We're going to do the usual rounds. Seth, if people want to uh, find some Matt Ryan love and other amazing content, where 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 where's, where can they find you? Uh, so you can find me over on Twitter is at Seth Bidoff. And then um, I've got my my podcast that I do. It's uh, Somos Mas, S-O-M-O-S-M-A-S. We talk USL. We talk sports in general. And we do uh, have a focus on New Mexico United, our local USL championship club. Um, I do want to say uh, we got a tweet after the last show, uh, Calvin Charlton from uh, Hibernian. So I appreciate that. And uh, Yeah, that's Lewis's brother, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, uh, thank you for that. And I've been watching as much uh, SPFL as I can on ESPN Plus <laughs> since then. And uh, I've got a I've got a YouTube series I'm working on that's going to involve Hibernian. So oh, that's sick. Fun. Yeah. So obviously, Lou. Yeah. Where can we uh, Where can we find you and the rest of the Charlton rabble? Uh, yes, I mainly Twitter. So Lewis Charlton zero eight. Um, yeah, I don't tend to do too much out of that, but my ramblings can be seen on there. <laughs> yeah. No. I don't know. I said this, and and I said this to Lou off podcast, so I don't mind it saying it off on podcast. You know, I'm new to this. Obviously, Steph's quite you know experienced pro with this kind of stuff, and 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 you know, he, he can pull up stats and and do all the cool stuff that I'm gonna get into doing at some point. Obviously, I'm down on monitor today, which is why I've been a little bit shaky with 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 my stats and things. But um, yeah, again, Lou, uh, I can only say you know second podcast on really. You know, I think it was a lot more natural this time than it was the first time. I think you've uh, definitely come a long way and, and then we'll definitely be on the podcast again. Um, Holly is simping for you in the chat as we speak. Um, but uh, but yeah, so um, thank you everyone for watching. Um, just so you guys know, I've got some exciting stuff coming up. Next week guests uh, is confirmed. Obviously keep an eye out on Twitter for that. I might announce that on potentially... A midweek podcast oh but yeah so uh, there's going to be something new starting on the channel again podcast related but obviously there's going to be uh, a more consistent uh showing so you won't have to wait till the weekends but the weekends will remain as the guest shows where we get uh guests on to talk about specific stuff um but yeah so make sure you guys follow me on socials at jj season you can find me everywhere uh, on those socials if you're listening on spotify please make sure you follow uh, if you're watching on youtube please drop a sub uh, and thumbs up and if you've watched live on twitch.tv season thank you for sticking with us for the last hour and 11 minutes and 19 seconds um it's it's been it's been great and i love having uh, seth and lewis on um however i definitely won't be bringing up matt ryan ever again on the podcast 
Um, <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much, guys, for watching. Uh, as always, we are going to chuck a raid over, as we always do here on this channel, um, just because, you know, there's no point having viewers and not sending them over to someone. Uh, my good friend, Lee Manhood, has just got affiliated on Twitch. Uh, so if you guys could go and uh, show him some love, that would be much appreciated. But yeah, thank you everyone for watching. And uh, like I said, keep an eye on socials for what's going to be happening midweek. And then obviously I'll see you back here next Saturday with my guest, which will also be announced next week. But yeah, thank you guys for watching and peace out uh, from us here at the Sporty Season Podcast. See you later. I just got.